Um, one last thing um, that I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do a clap, <laughs> which is which is maybe maybe silly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is gonna work, but I think it's gonna help me line up audio between the various things that we're recording, right? Because it'll be, be a big old like whack in the yes. in the, in the so start of the you won't so hear your clap. The only thing is you won't hear your clap on my audio because I've got these. Because you've got the thing. So how about we both clap? We do a one two three clap, and hopefully that will line up. Okay. Or, or somewhat okay so it's okay. one two three clap not not clap on three okay <laughs> one <laughs> yeah we can do this we can do one, it one two three <laughs> okay. okay one so more that time. was a dumb idea that was a soprano clap <laughs> okay. let's try it again <laughs> okay you count off okay one two three <laughs> that was worse. okay that's that's really funny because both of us are I think are seeing um, a delay, uh, uh, some delay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So we'll see how that <laughs> will work out. Probably not very well. Hi, welcome to Doing the Thing. This is a podcast about how and why people create. Uh, my name is Eric Malmquist, and I'm a composer of classical music, um, and also I guess I'm now a podcaster, um, and my very special guest with me on this very first episode is soprano Ariana Strahl. How are you today, Ariana? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am good. Um, I wanted to take a second to talk to you and all of our listeners about um, what the format of this podcast is is going to be, um, since it has not existed until today, and also... Um, do a little introduction about why I'm doing it and why I think this is an interesting thing for uh, us to do and hopefully for people to listen to as well. So one day um, I was in uh, the barber's chair. I was getting one of my very rare pandemic haircuts and I was asking the barber, how do you uh, get through your day? You know, you got all these people to talk to. It sounds like a nightmare. I don't really like talking to people that much. Um, And he said, you know, I'm in the same boat as you, so what I do is I ask people what they do, how they do it, the details of of their day, and why they do the thing. So if it's a lawyer, they'll talk about lawyer stuff and be like, oh, so what's an interesting case you've had or something like that. And I thought that was really great because that's often like my way of getting through, you know, social anxiety or art type situations. You know, if I'm at a reception or something like that, I say... You know, I meet a famous violist or something. I say, how are you? What are great pieces that uh, you enjoy? If I meet a choir director, I'm like, what sort of uh, repertoire do you, um, is, is, is there missing in the repertoire that, that a composer should write or something like that? Yeah. So I thought, you know, um, I think that this could be an interesting thing to talk to other people about. Um, so I'm going to start off with talking to musicians like Ariana here. And then eventually we'll move on to poets, um, board game designers. Uh, hopefully I've got a brewer, the owner of a famous brewery here in Chicago that will come on and talk to me. Cool. Um, and we'll get my barber on as well. And we'll, we're going to do this sort of like daisy chain thing where one person that I talk to will then be my co-host for the next episode. So Ariana, you're going to be co-host for the next episode. And then the next episode is going to be exactly... We're going to have a, a daisy chain of artists because I think, you know, I think there's personally, I feel like I've learned a lot about how to do things and create things from all sorts of different um, 
uh, uh, people from all sorts of dis different disciplines uh, and concentrations. And I think that th we can really learn a lot from each other just by, you know, talking about, you know, how we do, how we do things and, and why we do it. And I just think it's interesting anyway. Does that yes, make sense? Definitely. Okay. So part of the, part of the, 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 the way that we're going to do that is everybody is going to get who, what, where, when, how, and why kind of questions. Um, and the first few questions are going to be the same for everybody. And then I've got very specific questions lined up for you, Ariana, uh, uh, that I'm excited to talk yeah. to you about. So let's just get started. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Ariana Strahl. I am a soprano. I'm an arts advocate. I am um, slowly looking into what it looks like to create art opportunities for people who are not just me. Um, I am a joyful collaborator with lots of different kinds of other people. Okay, that's really fantastic. So I often just say, like, I'm a composer. And then people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, you know how you hear orchestra in the movies? I write stuff like that. <laughs> that's my dumb answer. Yep. I really like I, that was a much better answer about like it's not just you're a soprano, but but like how and why you do like what's the really important thing about um about about what you do, like what do you advocate for? I think it's really great. Well, sopranos, um, where are you sopranos from? sometimes Oh, sorry. Well, I sorry. Sopranos sometimes get a bad rap. So I I try and think about it <laughs> in a way that's like I don't know, a little bit broader than that as well, uh, though I am a soprano and proudly one. Um, sorry, what was the question? Where am I from? <laughs> yeah, where, where are you from? Uh, where do you live? Like, where's, where's, where are you based, would you say? I am based in Chicago uh, now, and I grew up in, I was born in Germany and then grew up outside of Dallas. And um, yeah, I lived in Dallas up through high school and then uh, went to down, went downstate in Illinois for college where you and I met and yeah was after college I lived abroad for a long time and then um, through a series of different events ended up back in Chicago hey, hey. yeah and I'm very glad for it um, because we've had a lot of fun working together and working on music and creating interesting projects and scheming, we do a lot of scheming, mm -hmm. which is great. And now you're on my pod, your first victim on my podcast. Yes, really appreciate it. I mean Chicago is also an amazing city for collaborating. There's so many people here who are doing all sorts of um, cool and interesting projects, and it's the sort of town where you can do lots of different sort of collaborations in this way. I feel very lucky. Absolutely. Um, when did you start doing what you do? Like when did you start? singing or being a soprano or is there a particular date where you're like I can be I can do this professionally I can say I can do this now um yeah I don't know there's different sorts of there's I guess there's different ways to kind of think about when at what point you say like I do this thing um but I have been very deeply interested in opera since high school actually um I started taking voice lessons in high school with a uh, teacher who was at the local community college in Fort Worth, who I'm still very close to, she's a dear friend of mine, and um, she taught me for a year as a sophomore in high school, and then she said, I think you might like opera, and at the time, that's the microphone, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 I might get a sniff on the microphone. Um, and that's the, Carl the cat. No, it's Rudy the cat. Uh, some assistance here. Br her, Rudy, Her I'm brother, sorry. Rudy. Rudy, I, okay. That might just, I don't know if there's anything to do about that. Um, anyway, so I was studying with Darlene uh, as a sophomore in high school. And then she said, you know, I think 
you might like opera workshop. This is like a community college that had a really evolved performing arts program. And she said, I think you might like opera workshop. I, okay, okay, excuse me. Um, I, yeah, so she's, she, you know, sort of said, I have another high school age student. I think you should do scenes from Hansel and Gretel. I think you might like it. Um, and I, at the time, was singing primarily in church. And I said, that sounds crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and she convinced me to give it one try. And I became fully obsessed with it in this way that is very unusual in high school. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, so I then did two years worth of lessons with her and then also going to opera workshop at um, Tarrant County Community College. And it was great. We did, uh, I did scenes from Hansel and Gretel. I did major parts from the Magic Flute. I got to do a bunch of Minotti, which is really random. Um, I got to do the whole of a Gilbert and Sullivan production, which I'd never known, which I'd never like heard of before. And um, we also did a full production of Suor Angelica by Puccini. And so I got introduced to all of this amazing music in this way that was both like very comfortable in a super nurturing environment and way earlier than a lot of people get introduced to opera. It was, I was absolutely obsessed. <laughs> That's amazing, especially given, um, you know, mo most high, sc high schools aren't going to have that kind of level of resources and connected um, connections in opera. Right. You know, at least, you know, my, my, hi my high school didn't at Morris Community High School, which, which kind of makes sense because it it's a fairly small rural high school. Um, so that's um, fantastic. Like, what about um, that experience of, of, of working on your very first opera material, like, made you really excited to pursue it further? Oh. I mean, so, and to be clear, this was not at my high school. It was at a then like after school community college situation. I was right. in choir in high school, which was also super fun. Um, but I just, I don't know. I loved, I loved how, and I still love this about opera, that it's all the things all together, right? Which um, people sometimes call the like Gesamtkunstwerk, right? It's like everything all together. There's like the theater piece, there's the art piece, there's the costume piece, there's the music piece, there's the acting piece. It's like all the things, right? And, um, I don't know. I loved that. I loved that it was challenging, but in a way that, I mean, she also kind of created an environment that was extremely positive and um, was clearly also able to uh, choose things for people that they would enjoy, enjoy doing them and then want to come back and do them again. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love that it was all the things all at the same time. It was also, and this is like, I'm sure this is something we'll talk about, but um, if I think about it now, I also know for myself that it was an extremely wonderful group of people. You know, there was like probably, I would say a core of like 20 people. I was the youngest up through, um, up through like people in their 60s and 70s who this was like their fun thing that they were doing in retirement. And it was just this incredible community of people who really liked doing this. Um, and it also wasn't, uh, it wasn't a space that was competitive or where you like needed to be better than everybody. It was a space where you were like, really, you know, what those courses are meant to do, which is like, here's the thing, is it interesting to you? Give it a shot, see if you like it. And um, yeah, it was, it was mostly a group of, many of the same people would come back again and again and again um, to be able to do things like, yeah, we did, 
I think we sang mostly everything in English. Um, and then I would, I would do like recitals and things with things in foreign languages, but, um, it was, it was a way that was like both challenging and totally accessible. Um, that's really fantastic. And I feel like I hear that a lot from, it, it seems to me that many of the opera singers that I know, um, it's, it's, it's very much sort of like an international small town, you know, of, of, very, of like-minded, passionate people. And I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience and you can tell me if that's wrong, but if I just look at like a random profile of, of an operatically inclined person, you know, they've got friends all over the place that they've, that they've worked together, but they're like old friends and they could just fall in with each other because of these great experiences, these fun experiences, these rewarding experiences of working together on um, these all-encompassing works of art, which I think is really, uh, I just think that's really fantastic. I love working with singers because y'all, y'all are just like so um, positive and 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 uh, 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 active and engaged and oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes really extroverted, which kind of like an introverted person like me is like, ooh, they're expressing themselves and and I don't do that. I just, I'm just quiet. You know, I just think I, it's really <laughs> great to work with singers. I just think y'all are great. Yeah. You do express yourself though. It's just different. It's on paper. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it takes, takes me a while. Yeah. All. Um, so, so you had these great, you had these great sort of formative experiences. What led you to um, want to study opera in college and vo- study voice and opera in college? Um, I think it was a natural, it was it was the obvious thing for me. I, it was absolutely what I wanted to do. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, by the time I finished high school, I was probably going like, you know, after high school or whatever, I would go out, go out to campus probably three or four days a week. I was like very invested very early. (laughs) And I don't know that it would have, at that point, I don't know that it would have occurred to me to study anything else. Um, yeah. Uh, so no, no question at all. No, nope. no inner turmoil. No, no uh, business degree on the side or something like that. No you inner, exactly no inner turmoil. <laughs> Good. That's fantastic. Um, do you think so? Like when you were, um, I, I think this next question is kind of an interesting question. Um, when did you like really consider yourself? I am, I am a singer. Was that that early, or or did you have to do? Did you feel like you needed to do more schooling? Um, I ask this because, on the one hand, you know I'm a composer. I have got some degrees, um, but I didn't really feel sort of fully formed into what I was doing until several years out of grad school. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had written some other pieces that I wasn't you know, sort of not really happy with, and then I sort of happened upon like my voice of what this is what I want to do and sound like, and so. You know, I don't really have any pieces from before roughly 2012, like on my website, even though I wrote stuff. You know, it didn't really feel like me. Uh, uh, on the other hand, I try and encourage people, you know, if you're writing pieces, you know, you should probably call yourself a composer. I teach um, young people at the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestras, um, and they're composers. They've got excellent pieces, you know, but sometimes they um, uh, uh, they aren't necessarily so confident in calling themselves that and claiming that and I feel like people should from a variety of backgrounds should be able to claim themselves as a composer um was there any sort of you know were you like I'm a singer and this is going to be me very early on or are you still working on it or how did that process go yeah I mean that's an interesting question I there's kind of a couple of different pieces to it right because the thing about uh vocal development is that you there's 
you know, you can do a ton of work. Um, but there's a certain portion of it that it just, you, it's just time-based. Your body just has to kind of shift into its adult self. Your um, vocal cords do kind of shift and change continuously over time in a way that's really good. Uh, and yeah, so it's, and it also depends a lot on what sort of voice type you have. Um, there are some voice types that, you know, as an example, like 20, let's just use 25 as an age kind of uh, arbitrary age, right? There are some voice types that 25 is like, like in your prime. And there are some people who 25 is not anywhere near their prime, right? <laughs> and that, that 35 is going to be where they are absolutely excelling and also like able to kind of access the full of their, the, the whole of their instrument. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess as far as like identity, I have always, from a very early age, for you know the reasons of the experiences I just described, thought of myself as like this is what I do very seriously in the world. Sometimes maybe too seriously when I was very young, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but there was definitely also a moment where um, I don't know. Maybe you have this experience in composing too, but. There's the, you spend many, many years being a student and being a student means to do things in increasing increments of more right, right? That this is like, <laughs> this is like correct and it's the most right and that you, um, you continue to do well in the world and whether that involves degrees or competitions or in your case commissions or in my case roles, right? Whatever. Um, that like those things happen because you did the thing the most right. And there's a point at which that's no longer the thing anymore. But also nobody tells yeah. you when that moment is. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and also then there's this, there's this sense of like, am I doing, am I making, you know, as a singer, it's like, am I making these sounds? Or am I making this, like creating this in this way? Because it is, uh, it like ticks all the boxes that will, you know, get me into a graduate program or get me, uh, hired. Hello. <laughs> that was a cat. That was the cat. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, home, that was a cat <laughs> leaping off something. <laughs> have a very high bookshelf. Um, yeah, there's a point at which it's like, um, all of a sudden that doing it the most right, you end up creating something that is perhaps perfect, technically perfect and yet uninteresting. And yet, um, <laughs> technically perfect and perhaps a little bit like flat. And suddenly the, suddenly you realize, oh, wait a second. Now I have to come up with like, what is it that I want to be doing as an artist rather than as like a, in a, with still within a student mindset. Yeah. Right. And that shifts. And it also, sometimes that shift is very slow and then sometimes it happens in a way that feels like overnight and you get caught in this moment of like, well, wait, but I was just doing it the most right. <laughs> now what? <laughs> you know, and then, now, and then now what? And now what is you figure out how, what your own thing actually is. And I, it's interesting that you also say about your own work that like before 2012, I don't know if I could put like a, a hard date on it, but um, there's definitely kind of like a, a shift where I think, okay, this is the thing that like, belongs to me. Yeah. And that's only been in the last few years. And that's been, um, both vocally 
artistically, how I think of my work, how I think of like my artistic life as a vehicle to collaborate with other people. That's fantastic. Um, probably, I'm probably going to say that's fantastic a lot. I feel like I say that in my daily life. I'll come up with some synonyms, but I like it. Or maybe not. Maybe I'll just own that's fantastic. <laughs> um, I think I think that that's uh, 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 that's a very good answer, um, especially because I remember, you know, graduating from grad school myself, um, and then looking around and being like, wait, where where is my next sort of like line to cross? Like, because we kind of got used to that kind of like, you graduate from this, you graduate from this, you get into this program, you do this right. thing, and then suddenly it's like, whoa, but there's no lines anymore. Right. And there's that's no, not bad. That's no... just how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do wish there was more discussion about like, okay, now how do you kind of like, I don't know, build the cars you're driving in sort of. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, well, uh, what what components of like what, what you have done recently do you feel as a singer... Um, contribute to, to you feeling like you are doing your thing as successfully and fully you uh, as you can or, or want. Does that even make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It's interesting. Um, the, the most straightforward answer to that is that vocally I have grown into the repertoire I sort of always hoped I would grow into. Um, and a very kind of straightforward example of that is that um, in terms of orchestral and symphonic work, in the last few years, obviously before the pandemic, um, in the maybe two or three years leading up to the pandemic, I got to do so many pieces that were on my bucket list. Um, and actually, I am fingers crossed that something that got canceled right at the beginning of lockdown will come to pass then next year. It's not announced yet, so I can't say it, but I'm really excited for it to eventually happen. Um, but just as an example, uh, the thing that comes to mind is I got to sing the Verdi Requiem. And yeah. that is like just, I think it might be within sort of the non, you know, non 20th century era. Uh, I think it's maybe the most perfect piece of music written. It has everything you could ever want in it. <laughs> and to get to sing it is a transcendent experience. And you know, you kind of have to, vocally, you have to have come to a place that isn't possible at 23. At, in, the, in that age where, in singing world, um, being a young artist, which is kind of everything under 30, between college and 30, um, like, some of the repertoire that is the most fun, I had always sort of hoped, God, that would be amazing. If I get to, if I end up with the sort of voice that could sing that, it would be incredible. And so now that's started to slowly but surely happen. Um, Large-scale orchestral works that are just, um, yeah, they're. It's. I don't. I don't know how else to say it. It's just some of the best repertoire out there. It's gotcha. the juiciest, meatiest stuff. And not to mention that, like the physical experience of standing in front of that many other people being on stage with that many other humans um that particular piece i've described I've, I've never been surfing but i imagine that's it's sort of a similar sensation which is like there's a very large wave coming up from behind you and you are advised to like get on it <laughs> <laughs> like these are the options you can like you are advised to like ride the wave that's coming from behind you or you're gonna absolutely drown and it's incredible. It's, I, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. 
Um, and yeah, so that, like in terms of kind of what people call standard repertoire, that would be kind of uh, the experience that comes to mind. But then also, you know, uh, in 2019, I got to sing a piece of yours for large scale uh, ensemble. Yeah. Yay. And also kind of the ability to be able to kind of stake out how I think about things artistically, which also means that I feel like I can collaborate with people and bring like ideas of my own to the table. And also uh, I specifically love collaborating with pianists. Um, and so there's like a, a few different pianists who I have very close relationships with. And I've done different sorts of programs with all those people because they all have different things that they love to play the most. And yeah, so like whether that's Strauss or whether that's, you know, Schoenberg and uh, new music, all these sorts of different things. Um, it feels good to, in that place where it doesn't just need to be the most perfect or the most right, it gets to be the most, get to kind of meet another artist in an artistic space and create something that I wouldn't necessarily be able to create with a different person because that person and I would have a different connection and therefore we would do different music or we would do the same music very differently as an example. Is it frustrating? So I, I, we just had a, another opera singer over here last night for, for drinks um, after, um, after the baby went to sleep. Um, and she had some very interesting th thing, things to say about the business. Mm. Um, so I noticed one thing that I, that I want to, that I want to touch on later is, um, I noticed that you're, that you're talking a lot about the stuff that you're passionate about now is not necessarily staged works, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask you about, um, being sort of shoehorned into a voice type, which then sort of, uh, decides for you the roles that you're supposed to do from what I understand it. So please, well, like, what is, what is your full... Um, I know there's a German term called Fach, which is like a long um, a, a explanation with many words of yes. what exactly kind of voice. Yeah, we're so we're on Zoom right now, so I just did the whole like Monty Python, like large tracts of land, kind of like, <laughs> right? So, but you know what I'm? Yeah, I, I think you know what I mean, though. Like, like, like you have yeah. a, a series of descriptors that have been assigned to you. You're not just a soprano; you are a. Oh. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're not a, you're not a, well, that's great. Okay. Well, that's so, good. So I don't, okay. I don't know if this is going to make the cut into the whole thing, but the, the Fox system actually does have a manual. Um, I've got one over there. It's called the, the Kloiber written by somebody Kloiber. And, uh, in the German system, it's actually super helpful because it amounts to how your contracts are written. So if you go into a house for a year or two years or whatever, you're hired as, say for example, a lyric soprano. And in the back of this manual, it's over there on that bookshelf, there's a list of here's the roles for a lyric soprano. So it's essentially a to-do list. And it also, okay. from the theater side, it's here's what we hire you for that is within the standard repertoire, right? And it, in that way, it can be super helpful because you basically just, then you have a list and you have a, on a, on the casting side, they have a sense of being able to kind of like sort you, which is problematic and helpful. Um, and on the singer's side, you have a sense of, okay, this is what I need to, these are the core pieces that I need to learn in order to say, yes, I am this, yes, you can hire me for these 20 things, right? It, it is functional in a way. The problem is that it can be very restrictive. And yeah. then, and there are people who are, um, who are kind of, in between two of those categories or spread over three of them, depending on, you know, because the other thing is that 
on those lists is everything from Monteverdi to, uh, I don't know, Benjamin Britten. I, you know, it, it, it spans the whole range of opera standard repertoire. And it's a lot to be able to say, I sing, you know, I sing these three handle pieces and I sing um, Rake's Progress, for example. That's, that's like a really broad, it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily fit for every voice. And then yeah. um, depending on, you know, where you're working, who you're standing in front of, and if those people or that culture where you are is heavily invested in that system or not, yeah, there's some, there's some wiggle room there. Or ideally, there would be a little bit of wriggle, wriggle room there, and I think it's I think it's becoming more flexible. But it it tends to when you're especially when you're a young artist, and you just want to be working, and you just want to figure out like how do I do it? How do I like show up and get hired? It can be very um, tempting to think, oh, I just learned these pieces and then that's it. But it's also not that simple, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Thank you for explaining the, the, the system. system way better than, than I could. Than, I than, I, than I, I had a very vague sense. You know, if you go on Wikipedia, which I have, you know, there's a there's a lyric such and such, so-and-so, mountain soprano or something like right. that. Um, and as a composer, you know, I'm like, well, uh, what, a, what do I do with this? And then I typically just do like high voice on my piece or, yeah. or, or something like that so that it could hopefully ideally appeal to a wider variety of you know, maybe a tenor could do it instead of just a soprano, and I'm not really so so concerned about zeroing into, like, a particular... I guess I, you know, for, for me, that always seemed, like, really restrictive, like, you know, couldn't another singer who has the right personality, who has the right vim and verve, do an excellent job in a particular role? And the answer is she... yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, it, to, to me, it just sounds... I, I wanted to ask about that because to me that sounds just very kind of mystifying and, and restrictive but at the same time I suppose in many ways it can be helpful just maybe people shouldn't use that as sort of like the law but just you know a set of guidelines or something yeah yeah and I mean I think it's I think it's less becoming the law and more a set of guidelines and then you'll see people who you know their personal take on it is oh my gosh forget it <laughs> it's only <laughs> it's only restrictive and pigeonholing it's only kind of uh, going to make your life harder than it has to be um, yeah. I don't know. I see its value, and then I also see the kind of restrictive nature of it. And I, I think it also doesn't get explained to young singers in a way that is the parts of it that can be helpful, um, and the parts yeah. of it that need not anymore be, like you said, law. That that all makes sense to me. Um, the uh, the second part of my my question that I um, think I remember bringing up a second ago was. Um, so, so you are you are trained as an opera singer. You were very interested in singing opera way back when in high school. You've sung opera all over the place, um, but you're also doing other stuff now that it sounds like you're just as passionate about, which is um, non-staged orchestral works, um, song cycles, um, new music type stuff as well. Um, how did how did you uh, how did how does your career trajectory uh, I don't want to say verge over there because I mean it doesn't mean like you're you, you're not going to do opera stuff, but like how did you how did that get in, involved as part of your the thing that you do and the thing that you get passionate about? You mean how did I sort of add these other pieces to my mm -hmm. to kind of yeah? I mean it was sort of a natural progression. I do love singing stage work. It's mm -hmm. uh, it, it ha it's 
you know, what I was describing earlier with all the, the things I got to do in high school, it is all the things together. It is the most fun thing. And I think you were saying earlier, um, when you were saying about like reading singers' bios or talking to singers and how they all have old friends from old productions and, you know, they did the show together once, all this sort of thing. It can be and often is a fantastic environment of, you know, just incredibly creative, fun people doing, ama- making amazing music happen together, making amazing theater happen together. Um, it's interesting because it, it was not anything I ever, sh- I did, the shift wasn't on purpose really, it just sort of happened. Uh, the last opera I did, I loved, and it opened my eyes also to kind of um, things outside of the standard repertoire. So I got to do a few years ago, um, a operatic setting of Tennessee Williams' Streetcar Named Desire, which okay. is such a fun show. It's by Andre Previn. Um, such a fun show. It only premiered in the 90s in San Francisco. And it's amazing. And it's, a, it's an amazing piece of music. I love singing it. Um, musically itself, it's not everybody's thing, but I loved it. And also... The character that you that I got to play was very complicated. She's very complicated, right? She was um, really funny and dark and troubled, and you know, I mean, it's a full Tennessee Williams play, right? So it has all those pieces of um, I don't know. I just I I absolutely loved it, and. I adore so much music in the standard repertoire, and sometimes those characters are a little bit two dimensional. Because <laughs> they were written 300 That's years fair. ago. <laughs> I think right, it's okay yeah. to say that. You know, it's like it's some of the most stunning music out there, and I also, you know, there's also, um, depending on how productions are done, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can interpret stories that then kind of like lend this new and fresh meaning to these things but those stories still are what they are and they're a lot of them I'm just going to speak very generally a lot of them are wrapped in you know a lot of gender stereotypes are wrapped in a lot of things that can be difficult to yeah that can be difficult to sort of find the same level the same depth when you're digging into a role you know Blanche Dubois in Streetcar has a ton of depth. And I guess for me, I started to look, I mean, I had been, you know, looking at symphonic pieces um, because it's some of the most beautiful, you know, Verdi, Mahler, all that kind of stuff, some of the most stunning music out there. And then also in the art song world, it has that same sense of depth. Not all of it, not all art song has that same sense of depth, but, you know, um, there's a lot of like, Strauss and I sang some Shostakovich a few years ago that I just I adored it, you know. And and there are opera pieces like that. The um, actually January before the pandemic, I uh, got to do a workshop version of the Tchaikovsky Eugene Onegin. Also, some of the most stunning music ever written. Also from a full play, right? I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe that's what I'm saying is that the the operas that are based on full pieces of stage theater automatically bring with them, right? All the Verdi, op- all the Verdi operas that are based on Shakespeare, 
yeah, I don't know. I got, I got very interested in, yeah, I guess I'm saying that it was a natural, this was a natural kind of shift in this way. You found sort of some, some, some operatic repertoire that, that lets you plumb some depths of, of expression and, and do something that's a little bit more um, in, involved than, than, than previous, which then led you to other repertoire like, like these unstaged orchestral works and an art song that had a similar sort of, sort of vibe, right? Is that a fair yeah, summation? So. Okay. So here's a, here's a question that you, um, when we were first going over uh, uh, doing this podcast, you wrote a very eloquent response, which I kind of skimmed because I didn't want to sort of like, I wanted to have like a sort of natural conversational kind of response to it. So I'm sorry <laughs> that, I, that I skimmed your, your, your wonderful, res, your wonderful response. But the question was, um, so you are a singer in a, in a classical repertoire. Um, you are most often singing works that were written in black ink on a page and aren't really changeable, you know? Um, and especially these days, um, I, I feel like with lots of classical repertoire, there is a sense that there's kind of like, there's a right way to mm. do it. Um, and we try not to diverge, you know, especially if you're talking like about a Beethoven symphony or something like that, there's like a way to do it. And in, in this kind of narrow column, and then if you get too stray too far interpretively one way or another, you know, that's, that's kind of shunned. Um, that we, we, we want people to stick to a very sort of cut and dried interpretation of this repertoire. Um, and anyway, even if it's new music, it's still music that is printed on a page with notes and black ink and nothing for you to like fill in note wise. So for me, I find that to be really interesting um, because I'm a composer, you know, I, I fill in the notes myself and I feel that I am able to, in many ways, express myself and get out what I need to get out and talk about what I need to talk about through the medium of writing this music. If I'm really passionate about a piece of poetry or something like that, I can set it to music and hopefully hand it off to you. And for me, one of the things I think is really um, tough, I imagine for me that's really tough about uh, classical performers such as yourself is how do you, in, 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 in a repertoire in a field where I feel like there's kind of fences around like what you can express how do you feel like you can express yourself given these strictures given this field given the other traditions that we have you know what I mean yeah yeah um I have to confess I just went and found my email to you because <laughs> sure, I wasn't fine. sure what I wrote because it was several weeks ago um yeah I mean it's interesting I some of this is what we just talked about a little bit, right? But it's, I think that part of what I, what I was sort of mentioning earlier about that, you know, we both experienced of that you, the whole portion of your training um, up into the first portion of your professional career has to do with like ticking a lot of boxes, right? You want to make it like the most right. And for a let me say how I want to say this, for high voices within the classical singing world, and I do mean sopranos, I don't just mean sopranos, but I, it's, I think it's, sopranos have like a, an extra serving. Um, what that amounts to is this needs to be the most beautiful, the most beautiful. Hmm. And that's hard, because it's, first of all, really subjective, and it's also really narrow, 
And it's also taken me a long time to figure out that that's an extremely gendered way to look at, and it happens, it happens for tenors too, right? And it happens for, it definitely happens for mezzos and it also happens for, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, there's definitely just a kind of scale of beauty, right? Of like, is this the most beautiful? And over the course of, after college, I, uh, I had studied abroad in Vienna and then I moved back. I went to the opera all the time because you can go and stand for like two bucks. And, um, which is an insane privilege, right? Those were the, I went to one of it, those. No, I got it. No, I got a really good ticket. I went, I was at the opera in Vienna. <laughs> got like a last minute ticket. You're we going to yeah. get the standing room ticket. And then somebody like somebody rich walked in and was like, please give away this box seat to somebody who needs it. And I was like, <laughs> like yes, I will take it. Thank <laughs> that'll you. That'll be me. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. But so I, I went and it was, um, it was fascinating because it was like a, it was for me my first kind of regular exposure and regular ability to take in all sorts of different kinds of voices, right? And that because I was, because I mean, the house was also, the Vienna State Opera is quite a bit smaller and it's a big house, but it's smaller than say the Met um, or Dallas Opera where I spent some time when I was in high school uh, watching things. You get to kind of see what the mechanism is and it's, it, it is very beautiful and it's not a beauty that relies on a certain level of fragility. There's no actual, even the lightest voices, there's no fragility at work there. You know, it's, there's a ton of power going into all of that singing. Mm-hmm. And the trick, I think, for a, for a lot of styles of singing in this way is you have to be able to hide the amount of power you're using. You have to be able to hide the conveyance of any kind of um, sort of effort, I guess is what I'm saying. So anyway, I came up with this, this kind of idea that, you know, there's this, in general, there's a scale, beauty is on one end and power is on the other end. And the most beautiful voices that sing a certain sort of repertoire in, gen- in general um, belong to certain genders of the singing world are all stacked on one end. And what a lot of singers are doing is trying to kind of, or what a lot of singers are asked to do is to try and get closer to that. What is the beauty is on one end and it's just, it needs to be more beautiful. It needs to be more beautiful. And that on the other end of this linear spectrum is power, right? And power is for certain sorts of large voices, deep voices. Power is like a, um, a quality we like in certain sorts of voices on the other end of that spectrum of gender, but also of other things, right? And that that also then has to do with the kind of characters that those voice types sing, right? And I just, all my favorite singers were always people who it was clear that they were not operating on that linear concept. They were operating, I don't know, I guess if you were to like visualize it, it was not like a linear spectrum. It was maybe some sort of like a pie chart or a Venn diagram or something, something that took up, you know, more than just one axis. And, you know, so, I mean, I'm thinking of all these specific singers, um, many who sing larger repertoire. I'm thinking specifically of this, uh, mezzo named Agnes Balta, who I can send you stuff from. She's absolutely incredible. And I don't know, I became very interested in this idea of like, what if it's, what if beauty and power are not exclusive from one another? What happens if you um, start 
looking at and looking for repertoire where this is the case. And that's, I think that's kind of how I got to the place where I sort of always hoped I would grow into some of this larger repertoire because I never felt like I was going to be kind of the most floaty, the most beautiful, the most kind of ethereal in these ways. I, I, I was not, anyway, so, and then I guess the other thing is that, mm -hmm. the other thing is that then with all of that, the other word that kind of helped me with what is it I want to be doing is I want to do the stuff that is, yeah, like the overlay of like, here's something that's beautiful, here's something that's powerful, here's something that's like compelling. So yeah, maybe that's like a Venn diagram, right? Right. Um, and I feel most like myself artistically when I can hit all three of those things. Uh, that's great. I feel maybe the through line of all the repertoire that I feel the best about is something that if I have done my job right, it is possible that someone listening to something I'm doing will have an emotional reaction that is cathartic on some way, in some, in some way that is, that is outsized from everyday life. I think that's a, I think that's a wonderful way of thinking about it. Maybe even fantastic. Um, it's nice to, it's, uh, uh, but not to be flippant about it, but I think that's a great thing for me and maybe other artists is I, I feel like many, probably at many fields probably have this feeling where they're on sort of, they feel like they're on a spectrum where it's you do this thing at this end or this thing at this end and then maybe you're sort of sliding in between the two you know in composition i often feel it's like are you writing pretty music versus awesome music right. um and and not to say that one is 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 you know i think there's just sort of like a different there's different levels of impressiveness you know depending on 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 on, on where you're at with that i tend to write lots of pretty music um, but it's, I think it would, could be important for me and hopefully for other artists that want to listen to this thing to be like, you know, maybe you should focus on this other circle of the Venn diagram that you weren't even focused on. It's up here and it's, um, not pretty. It's not awesome. It's compelling or haunting or, or, or some other really fantastic adjective that, uh, expresses, expresses it better than I can at this, at this particular moment. Um, I think that's a really interesting uh, an important way to think about it, you know? And then that's also part of, if I may be so bold, it's also part of like how you can kind of break out of, uh, if, if you, if you ever felt this way, this is a way that you could break out of feeling constrained by repertoire or something like that is how you pick the things that you do and, and why you pick the things that you want to perform. Even if you aren't necessarily writing them yourself, um, you, you can advocate for, for certain things via the repertoire that you, that you choose and also how you do it and how you perform it, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I also, I am extremely privileged that I get to be picky. Yeah. That's that's just a fact. <laughs> that's, an, that's a wonderful place you know? to be in. But, but some of it is also, but, sorry, but some of it is also self-selecting, right? In that, like, mm -hmm. you, the natural inclination of myself as a person and also of myself vocally is something that is more that is, is not on that scale of being ethereal, right? I, I, can mm -hmm. do, I can do that, but like an entire role that I'm just, I'm just not the person you hire. <laughs> right. So it's self-selecting in some ways. Um, but it took me a long time to figure out kind of what I felt like I was best at bringing to the table. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, 
so we've heard a lot lately uh, at least at least you know we, we come from Illinois Wesleyan University that that um, recently founded a program for this um, and I listen to podcasts where people talk about this like arts entrepreneurship and branding and marketing and, and stuff like that I have to say I don't as a as a composer I am not I don't particularly enjoy selling myself and doing the marketing thing and like like the, the thing that I try and do if I can is just go and get a beer with somebody because that's way easier but I don't know it's just I find it it's really tough to to to, to get myself out there and and do sort of a, like a marketing thing like I'm supposed to how does that work as a soprano do you go get beers with people I know you you've had you've had agents in the past but like what was there something about you know is there something entrepreneurial that you're that you're engaging in right now or how does that all work um yeah there's, I mean there's lots of components to that there's lots of components <laughs> to that I mean I I think you and I are similar in this way I would love nothing more to go get it. Just go get a beer with people and figure it out. Um, yeah, I have, I have had agents in the past. I have been in the sort of audition pipeline in the past. Um, these days I, uh, I tend toward personal and individual collaborations. Mm -hmm. That is really, you know, there are some, there are some ensembles that I, I've been lucky to be invited back multiple times. That is a very special thing that you then get to know the ensemble a little bit. Um, in the case I'm thinking of, uh, music director and I have, you know, are on the same page and feel similarly about how sounds get made and that sort of thing. So like what I do happens to be something that is aligns with how they envision whatever the piece is, right? So there's that. But in general, you know, I, especially this last, you know, year and year and a year and a bit, year and a half almost. Um, I've realized more and more and more that I find very deep value in getting to do the thing, but getting to do the thing with people who I just enjoy and who we, you know, are on the same page artistically or we are interested in the same sorts of music or we have super different backgrounds and therefore can kind of learn things from each other. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, for me, at the end of the day, I am not great at marketing myself. <laughs> I'm not great at, I'm not, I'm not great at marketing myself, but I am, I do feel comfortable reaching out to and getting to know other people who do the thing. And then if our interests align, if our kind of, um, wheelhouses align then you know you can kind of see like I don't know I was thinking about project x is that something that'd be interesting for you and you can see people like you know if that if it jives with the work that they tend to gravitate toward too then then you sort of figure something out right and you kind of um come up with a project and I'm curious to see how that layer of stuff is gonna hopefully we hope right all that as the pandemic evolves into whatever the next phase is, that we can do things like rehearse in the same room. <laughs> yeah. I, that's... <laughs> that's 
<laughs> you know, like that's it's something I absolutely took for granted in before all of this. And um, in some ways, because I knew that that was not on the table anytime soon, practicing in the last year has been extremely difficult. Um, mm. I've not been as good about it as I know a lot of people have been because I knew that it was not, that it was, that that was not really, I, you know, I planned some projects. I have some stuff that's kind of, you know, I was able to sit down with some scores and put some stuff together and for things that are kind of down the road TBD. And the hope is that mm-hmm. now those sorts of things can start to happen again now. And yeah, I mean, for example, this is just an example, but at the end of July, very dear friend of mine, been friends for probably 15 years. Uh, two summers ago, she started an operetta company in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, called it Opera on the Lake. And she had one summer of, you know, two weeks of shows. And then 2020, we all know what happened in 2020. And so now she's <laughs> revamping. And at the end of July, I'll get to go and uh, spend a week with them and uh, sing several operetta concerts with them. And, you know, I'm very much looking forward to singing in front of people. I'm very much looking forward to making music with other people. And also the, that group of artists, we've all been friends for probably 10, 15 years and have a constant text thread going all the time. And so for me, it's, there's, there's the piece that is like the actual artistic thing. And then there's also the people that are involved that drives the artistic thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I said this recently, but I've, I, for me, it's always been about uh, the important thing for me has always been about trying to find people who are sort of in my tribe, trying to trying mm-hmm. to go out and find my people that are sort of that 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 I can get along with that can that can understand what I'm trying to do and, and why and whether we can have a fun, rewarding time together. Yeah. Um, so I think that hits the nail on the head for me. Um, yeah, I and I think that's probably it's it's tough like you know this arts entrepreneur arts arts entrepreneurship and it's even tough to say geez um and like branding and marketing and stuff like that it's um you know if 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 i just feel like if you're not comfortable with it like just find a way to to it's necessary but just find a way for me find a way to do it that makes you comfortable that is feels successful and so if that's if that's working with um, your dear friends, uh, as I hope you and I are, then I think that's that's probably yes. the way to do it. Yay! <laughs> Yay! We're friends, guys. Yeah. Um, so my final question here is, um, uh, what would you be doing if you weren't a classical soprano? <laughs> Surprise. Um, I don't know. Uh, well. I mean, I feel like at every phase in my life that ha- would have a different answer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm realizing as I say that, that's probably the case for most people. Um, I, at this, I mean, I have a daydream about a space, sort of a um, coffee shop workspace by day stage space where a person could get a glass of wine in the evening that's like a daydream off in the off of a future somewhere maybe i don't know um i love it i i uh yeah i really enjoy um creating community 
in various ways. And if I think about what else I would be doing now, it would involve, um, and some of that I feel like I do do now, right? So I, yeah, I feel like I would be um, trying to build community and what form that would take, I'm not sure, right? Um, I don't think it's, I can imagine my life without music in it, though. I think that's a very telling answer that, you know, if, if you asked me this, the, the question, I would have a series of, of answers very readily to the hand. Wait, like what? A uh, uh, series of nerdy things. Oh, geez. I think it would be really cool to be an archaeologist of, of some kind or other. I'm, I'm yes. a really big history nerd. And the idea of sort of uncovering something that people haven't seen in millennia and categorizing it and trying to figure out what um, is behind this object, mm-hmm. I think that sounds, sounds really exciting to me. And also as like a, in like a really, especially particularly nerdy thing, something about the idea of like going through ancient tablets and like trying to decode the language or decode what's what's uh, uh, encased in those tablets um, just just makes me super excited like being able to read something for the first time that now I, I'm gonna freely say that my my grasp of ancient languages is basically non-existent so I wouldn't be any help to anybody right now but I happen to know one of the weird things about um, about certain kinds of, of archaeology of especially of like uh, ancient Mesopotamian archaeology mm-hmm. is that those folks you know 3,000 4,000 gosh almost 5,000 years ago j- they just wrote so much stuff down that <laughs> there's crates there's like crates of clay tablets of stuff that has been written down by people that nobody has looked at in like 80 years yeah. Like there just isn't the time for people to go through and all of these things that are written down are mostly like people's grocery lists right. and like contracts of like who sold, you know, the temple a bit of land or something like that. But that just sounds really fascinating to me. So yes. part of me is like, you know, maybe someday I could like learn ancient Assyrian and then go down to the University of Chicago in your neighborhood and just sit yes. in a room and hand me a crate of ancient tablets and I'll take down people's beer orders from, from ancient Assyria. And I just think that sounds super cool. I so love that's my everything about this. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like I, I, I think the, like what you're, everything you're describing also aligns with what it is. At least this is the version I have in my head. Maybe tell me if this is wrong, but aligns with, the sort of working style of a composer. <laughs> right? Yeah. You sit in a room, yeah. not always by yourself, but, you know, to some degree, in a solitary room, and work in this very, like, methodical fashion, right? And I have always known this about myself, but also in the last year, have learned how deeply true this is, which is that I cannot work in a solitary way. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be around other people. I, I collaboration is like, and whatever form that would take, whether that would be music world, not the music world. I like working with other people. Well, to wrap things up then, um, let's just say that, that for now we're going to do our thing, but maybe in the future, 
I will come into your bar on cabaret night when you're singing. That's good. And I'll, I'll, I'll sit at a table and I'll write in my journal about the Assyrian tablets that I decoded that day. And we'll have that a That sounds time. amazing. That sounds amazing. Um, Ariana, thank you so much for, for talking with me and being my guinea pig on this very first episode of Doing the Thing. Um, I think we've had some really fantastic um, conversations today, and it's always fun to talk to you. So thank you very much, and hopefully I will see you in person to do the yes. thing, which is music in person sometime soon. Yes, please. I would love that. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Take care. Have a good night. See you soon. You've been listening to Doing the Thing. I'm your host, Eric Malmquist. Our theme music was written and performed by me, Eric Malmquist. If you'd like to learn more about uh, the guest on our episode or leave a comment, question, or complaint, please visit our website at ericmalmquist.com slash podcast. 